Hello, and welcome to Remember God Loves You, and I'll meet you at the finish line. Well, today we have a very special guest. He is running for the 2nd Congressional District, Mr. Eric Olson, out of Middleton, Wisconsin. Madison, actually. Oh, Mad Madison. Yeah, it's fine. Middleton is right by Madison. It's sort of just a little bit to the west, and um, it's its own place. You know, yeah. But Welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. So thanks. Absolutely. So let's begin. Um, I heard or not I heard, but I'm sure most of the second congressional district knows that you are running for Congress. So let's kind of fall back before we dive right out into what you want to like what you're running on. What made you run in the first place? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I wanted to do something to try to help the country. And I feel, I guess I and, you know, people who are very close to me, like my wife and her family and many of our friends have felt, you know, for a while that the country is uh, not going in a great direction in a lot of ways. And, and then, you know, a person thinks about how they could possibly help with the situation. And what I realized was uh, that that running is a way of participating, mm -hmm. you know, and democracy relies on people participating in order to have ideas out in the public space. And it's only a marketplace of ideas if people bring the ideas to market, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. so that was a big part of it. And um, I was sitting uh, at some point, I was having dinner with Sarah and her family, and we were talking about things. And finally, at one point, her father, Alan, said, you know, we really, we agree on so much, but um, what are we going to do? Who's, you know, how, what are we going to actually do about this? Mm -hmm. And at that point, I really thought, you know, I should really do this. I should really run for this, uh, run for something, you know, and I talked to a couple of people and they said, you know, second congressional district is one where it would be really good to run because having a good candidate here could make a big difference because it's considered a very, very difficult district for a Republican to win because of the statistics, mm -hmm. because of the, um, the demographics, you know, the makeup. There's a lot of people here who probably lean very strongly Democrat or who just are going to vote Democrat almost no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So, but nevertheless, you know, that's the place where at least in theory, there's the most progress to make. So Dane County, in the last election went 83,000 votes for the Republican candidate and 253,000 votes for the Democratic candidate. Wow. Yeah. So that's a difference of 170,000 votes right here in Dane County, which is where we're sitting right now. Yeah. So you can see there's a lot of potential for improvement. Yeah. But the whole thing is that Dane, but your district doesn't only like cover Dane and Kyle what? So the second congressional district for my listeners. So the majority of us covered up in Dane County. What other counties do you, does your congressional district lie in? Right. The majority of the, of the population of the district is in Dane, is County. In Dane County, but the majority of the land mass or the territory or however you want to call it of the district is, in other, you know, it's much bigger than that. It includes almost all of Sauk County, mm -hmm. which is where, um, you know, people probably think of Baraboo or 
Reedsburg or the Dells. Dells. Yeah. So, and then it includes Iowa, Green, the western half of Rock, and Lafayette. So Iowa, Green, western half of Rock, Lafayette, Dane. Columbia? Nope. Dodge? No, Dodge. no, 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 no. Uh, Grant, no, no. What am I forgetting? Iowa, Sauk, Green, Lafayette, and Dane, and Rock. Yeah, that's it. So that's pretty good. Uh, I know <laughs> Glad I know that very well. Well, I've spent a lot of time going to these places over yeah. the last, you know, now almost <laughs> a year and. Uh, it's interesting, you know, when I started out, it was almost all of rock, yeah. and that, or, or not almost all, but a little bit more because it contained um, a big chunk of Beloit, so it had a lot more of the rock county population in it, yeah. and then it changed, and a little bit of that, uh, a little small change of the line um, meant that Beloit is now in the first congressional district, and then... Part of the reason for that, though, is that Dane County's population grew. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry about that. So Dane County's population grew by, I think, about 75,000 people over the last 10 years, mm -hmm. which is a lot. It is. Right. So, well, before we can continue on, you know, I was looking at the elections in the past. You know what surprised me about 2020 was that Sauk County flipped from... Republican uh, county to a Democrat county. Why do you think that is? That surprised me, and I was wondering if it had to do with Baraboo or had to do with Wisconsin Dells, one of those two, because that they haven't switched. Now they've been a Democrat county for now. You're going on for two years now, and it just blew my mind. I'm like, other years they were Republicans, and you're seeing that more and more push. Why do you think that is? You have Ashland doing the same, Ashland County doing the same thing. Well, you know, I think you have to look at, first of all, when you look at a map and it shows like light red or light pink or light blue, a lot of the maps only have maybe five color gradients, like very dark blue, light blue, you know, no, I guess some of them have no color and some of them then go sort of a light pink and then a red and, or maybe they have another gradient. But the point is that let's say something is Democrat by 500 votes mm -hmm. and then it goes Republican by 500 votes. You have it blinking pink and blue, but really it's just a very kind of even county for a long time. I think the reality of Sauk, Dane, um, and Rock is that there are a lot of Democrats here and also a lot of Republicans, but that many of the people who perhaps would be interested in voting Republican under the right circumstances really aren't uh, compelled by the party right now. And I think part of the reason is that as Republicans, we need to do a much better job of presenting both who we are mm -hmm. and and also who we aren't yeah. um because there's mixed messages coming out of dc and i've been paying attention 
And the whole thing is that you look at the majority of the Republican, like they're, what they're running on. And I'm like, well, all they're talking about is like impeaching Biden and going after him, but that's not gonna, that's not gonna fix this country. I mean, what is actual policies? Because what do you see? So I know like you have other counterparts uh, that are running as well. So this brings me to my next question. What are you running on? Like what would, if you were to get elected, what, how would you impact Wisconsin or, and precisely this district? Well, when you talk about leaders and you talk about people who are going to be put in positions of power, I think there's a number of things. I think people sometimes tend to focus in, like you said, on um, the, the negatives of the adversary, let's say. So arguably the, <laughs> arguably the Biden campaign was just that he wasn't Trump. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that was almost the whole, I mean, I suppose he did speak about some other things as well, but probably the biggest selling point of his campaign was to try to demonize the, you know, conservatives and Republicans and then say, okay, he wasn't that. I'm not so sure that he really ever particularly said what he was other than saying that he was for more, possibly more um, spending, I suppose, of, of certain types and, and a couple other things. But if you're talking about me, I think that the reality is well, when we, we talk about electing people, um, the first thing that we need to look at is where are they coming from on a basic level of their morals and the way that they, they look at themselves and they look at the whole world. Mm -hmm. Because everything else is going to flow from that. So a per, there, there may be in any given situation, a hundred ways that are good ways to navigate that situation. And then there might be a thousand ways that are bad ways. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if we pick people who are, have a certain type of an orientation, we'll get one type of result. And if we pick people with another orientation, we'll get another type of result. So, what is my orientation? I'm a person who really loves America. Yeah. Okay. I think I really, really deeply love the country. I love the constitution. Yeah. I love the idea of a meritocracy where it's actually people who have equal chances to do things that are, are given that opportunity. I, I think that identity politics is very toxic. I think it's a very bad idea and I think it needs to be something that we slowly get rid of. Yeah. I mean, you, you have right now almost a sort of a, a competition in a way between an ideology that's prevalent on the far left that is really a Marxist ideology. It's very scary. It's very scary. And see, and that's, and you know, this kind of brings me to my point. You have Madison. No, and not like I was. I shouldn't say every voter in Madison is bad, but you have the agendas coming out of Madison, like how the people get, like you know, what they want to push. I'm not for. For instance, they want to. Uh, there was a state senator or state representative in 
uh, Wisconsin. Uh, I think she was in the 72nd district. I uh, wanted to make sure that the illegal immigrants that are already in Wisconsin can vote for this upcoming election and you give them a temporary driver's license so they can uh, give out, like, so they can go to the ballot box. See, I'm against that, you know. And you also, so the other question is, you know, with that, so with your, the whole illegal immigration process, I was actually in Texas a couple of days ago. Um, I was at Dr. Tony Evans' conference, and they had a bus, an uh, unmarked bus, uh, and it was full of migrants. And who's who's Dr. Tony Evans? He's a pastor. Okay. Um, out, of San, out of Dallas, Texas. And what does he do? He's a pastor. He's a pastor of no, no, I know, 50,000 okay. members. And so why, why was he at this... So you were there to see him as a pastor or no, in conjunction uh, with the border? It was a Kingdom Alliance, so it's a okay. pastoral summit. Okay. Uh, uh, I think 500 pastors and something like that. But it was when I was heading back home, when I stopped at Bucky's, which is like the Texas, like, uh, like you know how Wisconsin has Quick Trip, you know, but Texas has Bucky's, so it's like a trademark. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw a charter, unmarked charter bus, a white bus, all tinted windows, and the bus was heading up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, full of immigrants. Now, I'm not for, now, as a future congressman, how do you fix the situation? What are you going to, what are you going to do to make sure that we're not bombarded, the state of Wisconsin or even this district, bombarded of over-influx of people and not utilizing the resources that other people, such as veterans and the state of Wisconsin residents need. That's a lot. I know it's a lot. Well, okay. So here, here's a very interesting thing. You know, I mean, part of the reason that Congress's approval is so dismally low is that people are very, very unhappy about the situation at the border. People are flooding across the border. They're being trafficked. They're being trafficked for labor. Yeah. Some of them are being trafficked as sex much as I hate to say for, for sex trafficking. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very grim, very abusive reality. So it's not compassionate. It's not kind to encourage a situation where criminals are, are profiting by trafficking people across a poorly policed, poorly staffed border. Yeah. I think it's the government's, obligation to make sure that it's not possible for people to illegally come across the border. I mean, just that's just basic, basic math, if you want to call it that. I mean, some things are binary. A border is a binary situation. It's a place that you do not cross without the permission of the government of that country or state. I mean, it's a line. So Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but let me just finish this thought here because there may be many, many ways to prevent people from coming across the border illegally. I would work with the other people in Congress, with ICE and with the relevant states and their governors and their, you know, police forces or law enforcement personnel to, to, to stop it. It has to stop. I, there's a, um, 
dangerous amount of drugs coming across that border too. And yeah. it's killing people here in Wisconsin. I think we lost 1,500 Wisconsin people last year to fentanyl. And a lot of that came over that southern border. Yeah. So there may be a lot of ways to stop it, but the point is electing enough people with the actual will to do it that one of them happens. I would be a person with the will to do it that would make it happen. Whether we have enough others of those 435 in Congress and 100 in the Senate and a, and a president willing to, to follow whatever legislation we would come up with is another story because that's how the government works. But something has to happen. It's a complete shame. It's a humanitarian crisis and it's, it has to end. Because we're giving, because we're giving billions of dollars for instance, like Ukraine got ten billion dollars to give to beef up their borders. See, I I don't really. There's a big mis disconnect here. So, so the whole thing is so we're willing to compromise our border and allocate our funds to a country that uh, other countries literally have. Ukraine's Ukraine. Now, I'm not trying to bash any like Ukraine thing, but that's one thing that it frustrates me. America has given over a hundred billion dollars in funding hundred like and countless other private organizations have given money to Ukraine and stuff. What you expect, I'm like, it's, I did the calculation. Each citizen of Ukraine, out of the 44 million people of Ukraine, will get at least 50 million dollars. So you're telling me that, and what else do they need? And they keep on asking for more funding. Well, I'll tell you something. I I mean, what's your thoughts I've, on the thing going on right now? In Ukraine, or which thing are we talking about? That's, right now? Um, so that brings me to another thing. Well, okay. Before we go to another thing, though, there is one other thing I would like to say about the immigration and the southern border. Go for it. Okay, the immigration system in this country is completely broken. So, so part of the reason that these these people are coming across, these floods of people are coming across, is that they're needed by employers to do jobs mm -hmm. okay but the way that it's happening is undisciplined and unfair and inhumane so if we were to act like normal grown-ups like a country made up of grown-ups then congress would sit down together and say okay we need to bring this many people in to fill gaps in the employment market but we have to make sure that we're not unfair to people who have built up business and ways of life here that we're going to suddenly undercut their business by flooding the market with a certain type of of labor. You see what I mean? And then they would they would figure out, OK, we need to do the system this way so people can come in legally and work and that those people have dignity and they can pay the taxes and do everything properly if they care to. Not everyone always will, but hopefully 99% of them do and then they participate and then after a certain amount of time they come here and they make the money that they would like to do and have the opportunity and learn something about how America works and then they go back to their country and hopefully they bring some of that along so maybe it could be a program where they could come for 10 years or 15 years to work in a certain trade or something and then maybe under some circumstances they could stay but the idea would generally be that they would then go back and go back to where whichever place that was and say, hey, it was so great to live in this incredibly democratic place where we could say what we wanted and worship the way we wanted 
and then possibly it would help catch on in other places as well. Mm -hmm. The people would have the labor that they need here to run their businesses and things like that. And then we would see less. It would also cut down on the number of people sneaking through the desert and with all the perils of, of, of danger to their, their personal safety. And there's a lot of rape that goes on there too. A oh. tremendous amount of rape of the young women who are, who are lured into coming across the desert. And uh, that's something that everybody just looks the other way. So yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate about that issue. That's something that I think is a real shame. And it's part of the reason Congress's approval is so dismally low. People want it fixed mm-hmm. and they're not fixing it. And so, so the other, hopefully this doesn't, okay, so we're back on, sorry. So then there's also been put this push to stop funding Ukraine because we've already given $100 billion. And I was at the Department of Defense Conference uh, in Washington, D.C. And the Department of Defense says that the Biden administration is going to, throughout these Next couple of years, in this next budget uh, for 2023, they're going to try to see if they can push for $60 billion to Ukraine through military aid and through military surplus to kind of like weapons, ammunition and stuff. So what are your thoughts on on this whole Ukraine like over excessive spending and giving $325 million to Palestine, giving and redoing the nuclear deals? What do you think about that? And as a congressman, how would you kind of focus that back on investing in our own people? Like, because the homeless crisis is awful. You have the criminals are rampage, and you also have the DAs in your states that are doing absolutely nothing, just a slap on the hand of candy and say, don't do that again. We'll see you in about 72 hours. Hopefully you don't kill anyone. How would you solve that? Okay, well, that's about four or five different issues that you brought up there. I think you brought up Ukraine. Which I is, think you brought yeah. up aid to Palestine. I think you brought up um, the the flood of um, or, or crime. criminality, crime, the crime, the explosion of crime, and then you brought up homelessness, and then what was the other one? Uh, oh, just invest, investing in your Americans. In, investing in Americans, okay. In America, investing in America. All right, well, the Ukraine situation, there's actually a really good um, website called ISW, Institute for the Study of War, mm-hmm. that talks about kind of the sad situation over there, but just from a military standpoint of who's... I guess if you want to call it winning, I mean, I guess I kind of go from the standpoint that it's just a, it's, it's something that should not have happened. I mean, I don't know how, how it came to pass that people weren't able to work it out. I know that from talking to an awful lot of people here in the district, in the second congressional district at state fairs and at their doors and at events, um, Many people feel like the whole situation occurred simply because um, Biden was perceived by the world as being weak. Um, they f- people feel like the withdrawal from Afghanistan was very badly handled and that it showed a lot of weakness. Mm-hmm. And then because of that show of weakness and because of other 
shows of weakness by the by by Biden that um, that emboldened uh, Russia to to invade Ukraine. Now it is somehow all related in part to this Nord Stream two project. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, I yeah, stating that. Well, here's what I heard about that. Okay. So I heard. I heard that America is actually, yeah, America bombed down an accident and that America is actually so that um, they can, so that they can keep on funding Ukraine. So they did this, they caused, they bombed the wrong area. And then in order to keep the war going, they blamed Russia. And so now we are giving Ukraine more money once again. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I love, I think we have to somehow come together and say, okay, we've allocated how much of our resources, how much of our baby formula, we're having shortages in America, we're having all this, and but why are we, and all they say is that, well, we got to make sure, um, well, we got to put Ukraine first, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And so we're giving all of our oil reserves over to Ukraine and Russia. I mean, that's, something doesn't add up there. And that's one thing that I find out to be very, disheartening and thinking that there's some big agenda going on behind closed doors where Biden is pulling the same thing exact, exactly what FDR did back in World War II. Mm. I mean, you know, Am I, some, I don't know. I really don't know because you, you look at all this stuff that's occurring in the United States today and you say, how is this possibly happening? It seems so inept. For example, uh, you know, Russia obviously is a nuclear power, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a war going on involving a nuclear power and nobody seems concerned. I think we should be very concerned. Anytime that there's a major land war in Europe, particularly involving a nuclear armed superpower, I think they still are at least in a way a superpower you know they have weapons um but yet people here seem remarkably unconcerned about it i would be very concerned about it and then i mean giving a lot of this aid i've heard estimates that a lot of it is being um diverted you know and that that it doesn't even it's through corruption or whatever it it's doesn't even yeah, it doesn't even make it there. And then other people say that no, it's actually mostly making it there and um, and being used to fight this war of resistance. So it's obviously a difficult situation. I think that if we had more competent leadership, the war would not have happened. No, you know. And so the problem is that we can do a lot of criticisms of the leadership that's in place right now um a lot of people spend their whole day and make a career out of doing that the reality is that if we want to be constructive about things we need to elect better more competent leaders um people a lot of people don't like didn't like they weren't totally in love with donald trump let's say right obviously many people did okay so he was a very Obviously, to state the obvious, he was a very polarizing figure. Some people were just 100% behind the guy. Mm -hmm. Some people were 100% against the guy. 
there were not a lot of people who were ambivalent about him. Some some leaders, people say, yeah, well, you know, he's kind of okay or whatever. Um, Trump wasn't like that. But in going around and talking to people, almost everybody seems, not almost everybody, maybe that's an overstatement, but an unbelievably large number of people I've spoken with, Democrats included, because Democrats will talk to me and this and that, will say, yeah, that invasion would not have happened if Trump was in the presidency because people were afraid of him. I think the Democrats were afraid of him. I think a lot of people were afraid of him. It wouldn't have happened. So it's a sad situation, and I don't think people realize how much suffering it's caused. Yeah. Well, with this in mind, I hope uh, we're going to kind of wrap up this part one, and uh, we're going to have you back on for part two. So with this in mind, guys, um, we have Eric Olson to have a very healthy conversation. He is running for the second congressional district out of Madison, Wisconsin. So on November 8th, do not forget to vote for Eric Olson. And if you absentee ballots started yesterday, an early registration started today. Do not forget to go out and vote. Every vote counts. Remember, God loves you. And I'll meet you at the finish line. Have a blessed day. Bye.